Hello, everyone, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and with me, I have VP and Research Director for Advanced Analytics at TDWI, Transforming Data with Intelligence, Fern Halper. It's a truly great opportunity to hear about how Fern's career in data has transformed the field, as well as her current research on the gender pay gap. TDWI is the sponsor of this episode, and you will hear a lot more about them as the show goes on. So I'd love if you could tell us how your career evolved into data science. I know that you come from a geology oceanography background. Yes. So I was probably one of the original data scientists as as an oceanographer. My focus was actually on geophysical oceanography. And a lot of the research that we did actually involved throwing instruments off the back of ships to determine, you know, all sorts of data about what was happening in the ocean, temperature, salinity, pressure, uh, how transparent the water was in our quest to try to answer certain questions. So my background itself involved a lot of data analysis because we took that time series data back and, and analyzed it as, as part of what we were trying to do. But after I left oceanography, I taught for a while as an oceanographer. One day when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, I actually read an article in the newspaper. I remember it was in the Wall Street Journal, and it said that the amount of data in the world, and this was a long time ago, I'm not going to say the date, but it was like decades ago, it said that the amount of data in the world could fill a football field and go a mile high. And I was really taken with you know, what that looked like in my mind. It was like, oh my God, the future is in data. I need to go and learn how to analyze data. And so that's how I landed up, landed in Bell Laboratories. Um, and I worked in a group that would nowadays be called the Center of Excellence, which had a bunch of different types of people in it, economists, statisticians, scientists, um, psychologists. And the whole idea was that we were trying to figure out new ways to solve business problems and a lot of that revolved around actually analyzing data. So I was fortunate enough, for example, to work with the people in Bell Labs Research who were building some of the early machine learning um, types of systems and use their algorithms to analyze AT&T's customer data. AT&T has always been pretty advanced in this stuff. Um, and that's that's how it happened. So when you say that you identified data as the future a few decades ago. Has the field developed to where you thought it would now? Or is it way different than you thought it would be? Some of it has, you know, now I think with, you know, more compute power, for example, things, things are starting to happen. Although, you know, when we look at companies where I am now at TDWI, you know, most of them are, are not at the point that you would think that 
companies would necessarily be at. You know, they they have they may have good solid analytics in place, but it's not like they're um, you know using AI and solving futuristic problems. So, well, I would say when I was at AT and T to develop predictive models that that would predict when customers would churn. And we used machine learning techniques and we used statistical techniques sort of running side by side. And when we tried to take that model and put it into production, people looked at us like we had two heads, you know, like, where are we putting this? You know, we thought we could get it into a a call center so that the call center agents could actually use it to talk to people who were at risk of, you know, potentially dropping a service, you know, but this was, as I said, decades ago. So if you fast forward to now, yeah, those types of use cases are now possible and that's good. But if you think about, you know, what it actually takes to get a strong analytics program going in an organization, it takes time. So in some ways, it's not surprising that organizations, you know, are where they are now. It does. Yeah, I go to a lot of conferences, or I did, um, about, um, you know, a large scale analytics development. And there's a ton of confusion over what a team really looks like and hiring. Um, And so I've done a little bit of research and talked to some experts lately on how to distinguish between the roles. And there doesn't seem to be a huge consensus. But I know that you're doing I know that you're doing a lot of different types of research for TDWI. So if you can tell me about kind of what your current projects are, and um, I'd love to hear about your research on the gender pay gap. Right, right. So um, right now, I'm at TDWI, I'm the vice president of research. So TDWI has an education arm and a research arm, and we provide education to education and training to industry practitioners on everything from dimensional modeling to data mining with R and Python. And that's one part of the business. And then the other part of the business that I'm involved in is on the research side. So we're doing a lot of market research, but some of the research that we do is is also just basically what's happening out there in, in the data and analytics world. Every year, TDWI runs a salary survey. We've been doing this for for a long time and you know it looks at different different roles and how much the roles are making and bonuses and sort of what's important to people across the board and and I've been taking that data and looking at it in terms of a gender pay gap and this it's it's been very interesting to look to to actually look at that I mean we've been collecting this data for years and I've been looking at the data over the past, I guess I've been looking like year over year, probably for the past five or six years since since I've been there. And this year was an interesting year. I mean, the gender surprise, the gender pay gap still remains. And, you know, basically, while the median salary values may change year to year, the pattern basically remains the same, which is that women earn less than men. And so this year I was just looking at the at women in the US for example and the median salary for men was 130,000 in the data and analytics space and the median wage for women was 120,000 so 130,000 and 120,000 and then for those respondents who were earning a bonus 
men and women earned comparable median bonuses of about $14,000. So that was a good year, you know, in terms of bonuses for those people that actually earn bonuses. So, you know, really we're sort of at about 92 cents on the dollar. A couple of years ago, it was 89 cents. So, you know, we're better than sort of the overall wage gap when it when it comes to disparity, if you look sort of overall, when people talk about, you know, 80 cents to the dollar here, we're at 90, 92 cents for the dollar, but there's still obviously room for improvement. Um, As part of the analysis, I look at women at every educational level, you know, years at the company, you know, look at salary by roles, you know, that sort of thing. And, And women still earn less at every educational level. And, you know, although the salaries for men and women typically increase with higher education levels at any particular education level, you know, be it a high school degree, you know, associates, bachelor's, master's, PhD, the median salary for men is higher than that for women. So, you know, likewise, women typically earn less than their male counterparts in their first 10 years at a company. Um, and that was especially true for women who were in data management and IT, as opposed to maybe women on the business side where where they they could make as much money as a man. So, you know, women in IT and data management or analytics, they did tend to make less money than, than a male. At least that's what the 2019 salary survey revealed. So I think, you know, on the one hand, there was some good news that the the bonuses were the same and, you know, the wage disparity was sort of getting less, but there was obviously still bad news in that there was a wage disparity. It reminds me of a lot of research I did about student retention at Tulane when I was an MBA student. What reminds me of it is that the retention percentage at Tulane is 93% when I was there. And it's just interesting because Technically, you think that, you know, like in the 90s, it's a wonderful high percentage, but it signifies that there's a lot missing. So it's interesting to hear 92 to the dollar, and it sounds like, okay, almost to the dollar, but then that's a difference between 120,000 and 130,000. What tools are you using to calculate this research? I mean, this data is pretty straightforward. So I just sort of use your basic, you know, slicing and dicing and shaking and baking, you know, types of tools. That's not to say, you know, on some of the, some of the data, you know, I'll I'll use more predictive analytics tooling just for classification purposes. TDWI has spent 25 years providing vendor neutral, best practice-based education on the hottest topics in data. So you know you can count on their seminars and online learning programs to keep your skills sharp. TDWI instructors are practitioners as well as educators, so they understand the business side of the data science industry as well as the tools you need to find your place in it. On top of that, TDWI offers virtual training for your teams, about which you can learn more at tdwi.org slash virtual training. DataFem listeners can save 30% on virtual seminars and online learning with the code DF30. But TDWI's virtual summit series, Data Literacy, Analytics, and Architecture from June 9th to 11th is free to attend. You can RSVP now at tdwi.org slash virtual summit. 
What you'll get there are strategies and best practices to enable data literacy and self-service analytics. Moreover, you'll hear how to maximize the impact of machine learning and predictive analytics and build a modern data architecture to support it all. I will definitely be there and I hope to see all of you there too. Now back to our show. So after you've collected and processed this data on the gender pay gap, what happens next? Well, basically where it goes now is it goes to our online magazine, which is called Upside, and the re results are published there. And what we've been trying to do at TDWI is once a year at least hold a woman in data meeting at our conferences, because as I said, you know, we're an education company, we have a lot of conferences so we'll present that data there and, and we'll have women on panels and we'll talk about what it means to them and how to advance sort of in the data and analytics world as a woman. So we've been basically going straight to our audience and, and using the data that way. On the good news front, the data that we collected this year is the first year that we asked the question, do you know, are you satisfied with your pay or whatever, you know, that type of question. And this is the first year that, you know, women did not feel satisfied. So, you know, but we, we'll talk about, you know, what it takes to get ahead. Um, you know, how do we advocate for ourselves better? You know, how to ask about individual bonuses, um, you know, the importance of using things like crowdsourcing sites um, to actually understand what salaries should be, you know, and then, you know, in terms of knowing your worth and that sort of thing. So we'll talk about that and we'll publish those results also in, in, in Upside. But it's a good idea to, to try to go to some of these companies. If, if we had that data, a lot of, you know, the data, we try to keep it anonymous. So it's not like we could, you know, look at who answered what question, look at their company and then start to talk to them about it. But it's an interesting concept if there's a way to do that, or at least at a high level. I think there are a lot of conversations happening around diversity, but sometimes it's hard to know if it really made a difference. So having those conversations with women to empower them to know that they deserve the same salary is really important. You mentioned IT before as a field where there is a gap. So um, I'm curious what you notice, like what could be the reason for that gap existing in data science? Yeah, well, I will say that, you know, it appears from the data that we have that, and I'm not sure if this was the case for 20, the, the latest data set that we had, but in past data sets, it seemed like women were sort of starting out at, in lower positions, you know, that paid less. So, you know, whereas a guy might be an, you know, an architect or a data engineer, or, you know, some sort of engineering type of title, you know, the woman didn't necessarily have the, that title, you know, they may have been some sort of data steward or database, well, data stewards, maybe not a good, um, you know, some sort of database administrator or something. It just seemed like maybe were they not advocating for themselves enough when they sort of came into a job to say, I can do that job. You know, women tend to sort of think that they need to have every qualification to apply for a job versus a man who would say, oh, I have three of those and, you know, that's good enough. And, and then they would, you know, go off um, and, and apply. So that, that's what it seems like. They're in sort of these lower paying roles, like a, a data modeler, you know, versus a data architect. 
for example. So, you know, that that's one thing. On the data science side, I don't really have enough data to know if women data scientists are being paid as much as male data scientists um, because we just started to include those titles in our in our um, studies. But it's an interesting, you know, I'll be interested to see once we get a couple of years worth of data whether that's the case or not, because I suspect that it is. Also, I just think that women don't necessarily advocate for themselves in the same way that men do. You know, we'll have women who are, who have, who are VPs of analytics and that sort of title talking about what women who are coming up through the ranks, you know, as you're starting to lead teams or starting to do certain analyses, you know, how to make your voice heard. And you know how to tell, let your boss know everything that that you're doing. And you know, I remember when I was at Bell Labs, and you know, at that point in time, I'd be in a meeting, and I'd be the only woman in the meeting, and I'd say something. And I'm sure you've heard the story a hundred times. You'd say something, you'd have an idea, and no one would say anything. And then ten minutes later, a guy would say the same thing, and everyone would say, "What a great idea!" So. I had to learn to advocate for myself in that situation and, you know, and, and even speak up in, in ways that maybe would be perceived as aggressive. I don't know, you know, where I, I would say, as I just said, and then it became a joke, you know, after many months of this, where people would then say, yeah, as Fern just said, you know, that sort of thing. So like, ultimately, people are listening to you, but it, it takes time to get them to listen to you. I don't know how we get the data in terms of you know, how women communicate. I know that sometimes, like, I'll send something to someone and I'll say, um, you know, here are my suggestions on how you need to change this. And then a week later, I'll see that they didn't change anything, you know, and I'll say, why didn't you change anything, like to a man? And they would say, well, those are your suggestions. I would, and then I would say, well, that's not what I meant as it wasn't meant just as a suggestion. It was meant, you know, you need to do this, 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 and this. But it was the woman being polite type of thing that reared its its head up as opposed to saying, omit this, change this, make this question this way. Don't don't call that piece of data that, call it this. You know what I mean? It was very interesting to me that that happened. So I can imagine if we could get, you know, women's emails or even, I don't know if there's a way to get like publicly released documents or if you go on you know, sort of open source sites or something. Maybe there's on message boards, you know, around various projects. Maybe there's information there, you know, but what I also notice through all of these surveys is that it seems like women account for 25 to maybe 30% of the data and analytics professionals out there. So it's not like it's, um, like it's not a 50-50 sort of split. I think some people would be willing to share their team's data if it helps like a larger mission of understanding differences in communication, especially like there's so many women trying to get into the field and there are just barriers to entry in that way. Um, have you noticed any specific barriers to entry for women into data science specifically? Well, not necessarily, but what's interesting is if you look at some of the tech companies where they were using machine learning behind the scenes to actually go through all of the resumes that they had, you know, and since more men had been in say certain types of roles than women, there was bias in, in the data, the historical data that they might've used to train the model. So that resulted in less 
women coming in for interviews for certain types of jobs. I think that was publicized like a year or so ago with certain tech giants that that this was happening. That's where discriminatory bias sort of in machine learning and the importance of explainability and fairness and transparency, you know, that's one of the angles there for that. Of course, there were other systems, you know, criminal justice systems, you know, for parole and whatnot that were, you know, biased as well because of, you know, how the system was trained and the data that was used to train it. You know, when you look at a man on LinkedIn, you know, they'll say, I'm an analytics leader, right? They might be a manager, but they say, you know, I'm an analytics leader. And a woman wouldn't necessarily use the word leader. You know, they would say, state what their title is. But I think that women undervalue, you know, what they bring to the table oftentimes. And, you know, men are much more willing to take a risk and, you know, go for it and hope that it works out, even if they don't have all of the skills that they need. You know, they act like they have the skills that they need. And for certain type of data science roles, if you're getting tested before you actually get the job, that's obviously a different, you know, ball game. I feel like I've gotten a lot more judgment for overselling my skills than a man who's just expected to do that. And it's almost seen as endearing. That perpetrates the cycle of women not upselling themselves, because if you do that, you're not going to be treated with the same forgiveness and investment that your male counterpoint who did that would be treated. No, I mean, then there's the whole like motherhood penalty, right? Where studies have shown that employers are less likely to hire mothers and that mothers typically receive a lower wage, you know, than childless women do. So if you've taken time off and then, you know, you're coming back some women might think, well, I'm, I'm just happy to get a job. You know what I mean? Like, or get back into the workforce. Or they may earn less than they did when, when they left, you know, or if they go back to the workplace, but they cut back their hours, they may not advance as quickly. There's definitely a lot of factors to consider, which leads me to ask how you choose the factors for your study on the gender pay gap and how you've been monitoring it over time. We try to keep it the same, you know, in some ways so that we can compare year over year. But then, you know, if some it, there, it's a fast moving field and there's changes that are happening. So we have to add that. We typically don't run, although it would be interesting to do that type of survey, like an ongoing. We have other assessments, like TDWI will do a lot of how mature is your analytics function? Are you ready for you know, a cloud data warehouse will do a lot of assessments where people will answer questions that will keep those open, you know, and be collecting data uh, for those. The, a particular one that was very popular was the analytics maturity model, which we're actually redoing. And then we just keep it, keep it going so that we're gathering data on how mature organizations are and sort of how that's changing through time. But it's all in a database someplace that we're then accessing. We're not doing that on, on this survey. It's basically a survey that's run and kept in the field for a number of months, and then we analyze it, and then we just repeat it the next time. Well, I'm sure that our current situation being on lockdown and all is affecting how organizations are maturing and maybe even the gender pay gap as well. So have you noticed any changes in your studies, and what changes do you expect to see over the course of this time? Well, it would be great to think that you know, if, if the FaceTime thing goes away, <laughs> that men and women, that it would be an equalizer, but I'm not sure that that would happen. 
first of all, and you know, in terms of how it's changing of analytics, we're actually we actually are running a survey now about the impacts of COVID nineteen on data and analytics professionals. And honestly, you know, a lot of them are saying that they're answering a lot more questions, like their workload has just increased because they're having to answer all different types of questions that they didn't have to answer before and collecting new data types, you know, but it's harder to do, obviously, remotely, you know, and some of them may have, you know, issues with the performance of their systems, you know, to actually be getting at this data. But for the most part, you know, it seems like the current situation we're in has thrust more work on data and analytics professionals. I guess I'm hoping that, you know, if in fact women are doing more projects during this time and there are different types of projects, then maybe it would help them get noticed more. Like they could use the opportunity to help them shine. Yeah, I agree. Since you seem to create a lot of female only or female first spaces for um, women in the field, I'm wondering how you feel those spaces help women kind of integrate into the field overall with men? I think it's really important for women to have a safe space, you know, like these types of meetings that we're talking about, because, you know, they actually get to say what's on their mind and not ha- not have, you know, anyone sort of judging them about it. And, you know, they can share their experiences. It's It's sort of like any group that comes together, you know, to share what, what they've learned. So to me, it's just really important because you can say things that you wouldn't normally say in a another type of environment. We'll run executive types of summits um, for for analytics leaders, and typically what we see at them is that you know some group of women will get together. We'll have a bunch of roundtables, and we'll see that these women sort of come together and they actually make really good connections that way because we do a lot of networking at these events. So even when it's not a women-only event, um, the women do tend to come together, you know, at the cocktail hours or or whatever. You know, they just sort of walk up to each other and start talking and they get to share information and experiences. So it's it's very helpful for them even when it's not, you know, a one-off type of let's have you know, the women's luncheon type of thing. I'm wondering if you have any last pieces of advice for women in the fields that they could learn from and take forward from this. I mean, just basically what I said that, you know, my message really hasn't changed that, you know, women need to better advocate for ourselves in terms of salaries and, you know, not just think about the salary, but think about the bonus, you know, and what it takes to get the bonus. And, you know, and when you accept a job, you know, to, to gather you know, data around what the, you know, the salary would be and be prepared to negotiate hard, as you said, and then be prepared, you know, to know your worth and to know your worth when you're sort of, when you're in the job and continue to, to advocate for yourself and, and, you know, document your successes. And that's what I would leave with. Thank you so much, Fern. It was really fascinating talking to you. And I'm sure that at the TDWI Virtual Summit, we will have similar discussions, like I said, on data literacy, analytics, and architecture. That's free to attend from June 9th to 11th. 
Also, Fern mentioned Upside, which is TDWI's publication where a lot of the analysis is posted. So you can find that at tdwi.org upside. And if you want to support DataFem, as usual, you know to go to www.patreon.com datafem to become a patron. And that would be much appreciated. And I can't wait to see you next week.